This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. NBA Sound System L-I-V-E Live coming to you via the NBA Global Networks. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty. We are here in Canada, in Australia, in India, in the U.S., all over the world uh, talking basketball. Scott, how you doing today? Colin, I'm doing better than anyone and any team that's had to guard Nikola Jokic over the last week or two because he's been incredible all season long, but uh, he's been quite mean to people um, of this, this recent stretch. But I, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Can't complain. Jokic has been incredible. We'll get to him in a second and the MVP debate or lack thereof in Scott's opinion uh, a little later on. The Celtics have been playing great basketball. We'll touch on them. Uh, The Warriors have not been playing good basketball, so we'll touch on them. But we have to start with two things. First, uh, shout out to Greg Popovich, Scott. He tied Mm -hmm. Don Nelson in the uh, NBA's all-time wins uh, as a coach. Um, he's one away from breaking the record. Safe to say that they uh, that he will eventually become mm-hmm. the all-time winningest coach in NBA history. Uh, Pop deserves the shout-out off the top because it is a – and we talked about this uh, behind the scenes um, and, and had some debates about it. it. It could be an unbreakable record when you look at – um, you know, those who are next in line, I think Spostra is the next closest. And if he were to get there, uh, it would take him um, some very successful seasons, some 50 win seasons in consecutive fashion to even just sniff the record. Uh, but, you know, for Pop to do this, 26 seasons, one team, multiple championships, he's, he's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of NBA coaches when you when you have the list. Um, but you know, you, you've, he's been a, a staple now in your basketball fandom. Like mm-hmm. you haven't known the NBA without Greg Popovich. So, um, you know, n- now that this record is coming, what, what does it feel? How do you feel about the record itself? Cause it's not being talked about a lot. It's not being talked about a lot. It, it does feel like maybe it's just the point of the year that we're at, you know, like the regular season's drawing to a close. Um, it, it's pretty wide open title race. The MVP race, which we'll get into, um, has been super exciting, but I mean, this is, this is a historic moment. He's going to become the all-time winner um, among coaches. It, it really just is incredible. Like from 1997 until very recently, like we could basically pencil the, the Spurs, actually put the Spurs in pen uh, for like 50 plus wins, top seed in the Western Conference, title contender. Um, we know about the great players who, who, who Pop has had the privilege of coaching. Dave Robinson, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. Um, but their sustained success, I and mean, we see it all the time now, you know, like nothing, you can't take anything for granted in the NBA. Your best player has a sprained ankle, misses 10, 15, 20 games, like that can be your season. Um, so for, for him to continuously churn out um, the, these winning teams, you know, the, the, the Spurs at their peak, I feel like um, when they, they won that championship against the Heat, um, I mean, it's it's called beautiful basketball, like the way that they moved the ball. Um, they moved on, on a string on both ends of the court. Tim Duncan, one of the greatest players of all time, kind of being the centerpiece of that. Um, but Pop has just has coached some great players. Um, you you know, you, you just can't take anything away from him. He's probably the, the greatest coach of all time. Um, I do want to say, by the way, Doc Rivers is second among acti- active coaches in, uh, in wins. And then it's Rick Carlisle, Nate McMillan. And then Eric Spolstra. Um, but to your point, like even Doc, Doc is 10th all time. He has a thousand wins. Another 300, 400 wins is a lot. <laughs> you know, like it's, it does feel like one of these records, again, just just how much winning he sustained throughout this entire stretch. It, it's just going it, to, it's hard to believe that anyone's going to be able to catch him. Yeah. And he's done it with one single team. And you mentioned, yeah, you know, incredible. he's probably the greatest uh, NBA coach of all time. Do you, do you do you think that he is there? Because that was a debate that we had behind the scenes. I don't know where, honestly, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in your chair today. I don't know where I where I put him in the pantheon of NBA coaches as, as greatest, but I do think that he's in the in the conversation. He's definitely on the Mount Rushmore. But when you think mm-hmm. about that Mount Rushmore, Red Auerbach, uh, you think about Phil Jackson, you think about Pat Riley, and now Greg Popovich. I don't think there's another coach in there uh, that we didn't name that should be amongst that list. I mean, you can mention Lenny Wilkins and all these other guys, but uh, when you have the the wins, the championships, um, I, I don't think you could debate those four coaches 
when you take everything into consideration. And honestly, Scott, Greg Popovich might be a Zaza Pachulia undercutting Mm -hmm. Kawhi Leonard away from being recognized as the undisputed greatest coach of all time in, in NBA history. I mean, if the Spurs are able to get past that Warriors team, and they were they were going to give him a fight if Kawhi Leonard doesn't get injured in that game. They were going to give him a fight. It, it felt like it was going to be a seven-game slugfest. Uh, obviously, Kawhi Leonard gets hurt. We know what happens from here on out. Kevin Durant becomes a two-time champion. That we, we see probably the greatest team that we've ever seen uh, in, in, in NBA history in the Warriors. Uh, but Kawhi Leonard, he, he had that look in his eye. Like, hey, I, we're here. And the Spurs felt... Like they had the team, and Popovich is probably the coach that would game plan the best to try and neutralize what this what the Warriors had at their disposal. Um, but you know, it, it was all for naught, and 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 the course of history kind of changed with that undercutting by Zaza Pachulia. And you know, Kawhi Leonard now ends up in Toronto. Popovich loses, you know, the face of a franchise, and 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 now he has a team that is just fighting to make a playoffs rather than competing for a championship. But man. Who knows what would have happened if if that was a healthy Spurs team battling with the Warriors then? Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, but even without that, you know, he, he's won a championship in three different decades. Like, again, we, we can talk about Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, um, David Robinson, Kawhi Leonard, like all these all-time greats, um, you know, multiple members on the NBA 75 team, guys just on the fringes and Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili. Like, He's had he's had he's been very fortunate in that regard, but like that that's that alone doesn't guarantee the amount of success that he has, right? And I think it's there's just something about pop. Um, even now, like even when the Spurs aren't you know a powerhouse in the Western Conference, like it almost feels like no one really wants to play the Spurs because like you don't know what pop's gonna do. You know what I mean? Like he, he picks up on on all the little things on both ends of the court that kind of get under um, teams. So he, yeah, I mean. I, I'm not the best person to ask in terms of like, is he the greatest coach of all time? Because um, like you said, he's he's kind of been, I mean, he's been the best coach since I've started following um, basketball, but I don't go back into like the red hour back days and things like that. And you know me, Colin, I'm not much of a, uh, a basketball historian. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not the person to ask that, but I, I think it's safe to say over the last, what, 20, 25 years, he's been the best coach in the NBA. I, I don't he think has. that's a, a hot take. No, I don't think it's a hot take at all. Um, and, and we forgot to mention, he does have a gold medal in his case, which not, not a lot of coaches have uh, as well. So um, shout out to Greg Popovich. But we're assuming here, but probably the next time you hear from us, Greg Popovich will be all-time winning as coach in NBA history. So we wanted to come off the top and make sure we give him his flowers as he pursues that record and will likely break it this season. All right. Um the 76ers look really good, Scott. Uh, really good. And, and to, to no one's surprise, I think, you know, when you get two of the, you know, we'll say 11 best players in the league uh, on one team, it, it, it's supposed to look good. Uh, but it looks really, really good uh, with James Harden and, and Joel Embiid. Um, Joel Embiid is putting up MVP type numbers. Most people have him as the front runner for the league's most valuable player award. Um, we could debate that in a second. But when we look at just the marriage between Embiid and Harden, I know it's still in the honeymoon phase. Where do you sit? How do you, how do you grade it? If you were to grade it, um, you know, using the uh, the normal grade system A, B, and C, uh, where would you? What would you grade the Embiid Harden marriage to this point? To this point, I, I think it's a pretty clear A. Like, I, I was. I, I think it was easy to see when they when that trade went through that they could be a dominant duo. Again, like you have the two best one-on-one scorers in the league, two of the best scorers um, in the league right now. Harden, a, fanta- a fantastic uh, playmaker for others. But for me, the thing that I didn't quite expect to happen so soon is they, they seem to have great chemistry, um, particularly like their two-man game. Like you see them run pick and rolls together. First of all, the fact that they're running as many pick and rolls as they are I think it is 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 noteworthy because a lot, including myself, or, or many, including myself, had questions about how that would fit because Embiid is is not kind of like a rim runner, athletic lob catcher that Harden has had success with, and he's much more of a pick and pop guy. But even though Embiid is not a guy you're going to throw lobs to and everything like that, he has great hands, finish around the basket at a high level. He's a he's a massive human being. No one can keep him away from the basket. So him simply just rolling down the lane when Harden draws like two people on the perimeter. It, it's just so hard to stop. So for me, like that, that's what makes this an A. It's not the fact that they're both putting up huge numbers. The six is a five and O. Oh. It, it's how they've played off of each other. Um, and they just look really comfortable. And again, like th- this is something that should 
like that bond, that chemistry should only strengthen in these kind of weeks to come. Um, whether or not it's enough for them to, to win it all, I don't know. Um, the East is is very interesting right now, to say the least. Um, and they're firing in all cylinders, it looks like. But um, they're still, you know, we got to talk about the Celtics. Um, they're, they're playing arguably the best basketball in the league right now. The Bucks. I don't think anyone should be sleeping on them or what they can do. Um, the Heat, quietly, despite the fact that they've had guys in and out of the lineup all season long, still have the best record in the Eastern Conference. Like So so in your mind right now, you, you don't have the Sixers as a clear favorite in the Eastern Conference? No, I don't have them as a clear favorite. Are they a favorite? I mean, if we want to go through the whole, like, tearing the Eastern Conference, which I actually think, you know, you compare that to, to what it looked like at the start of the season, it's a completely different case right now. They've got to be in a tier, um, in tier one with... The Bucks, the Heat, um, maybe the Celtics. Uh, the, the, the Celtics is certainly knocking on that door with the way they're playing right now. Okay, so you don't have so so in your if you had to pick a winner to come out of the Eastern Conference today, it is not the Philadelphia 76ers in your mind. They're beatable. I, I think they're beatable. I, I think every team is is beatable right now, which is what makes this title race so interesting. I, I think, look, Harden and Bead are fantastic together. I love that fit. Tyrese Maxey has been incredible playing off of them. Like, he's been their third best player. Um, but, I mean, we, we talked about it. You, you raised a good point last week of, you know, Tobias Harris hasn't had like the same smooth transition that Tyrese Maxey has. And they're going to need him to play really well, probably, to win a championship. Um, who that fifth guy is, closing games, is it a Matisse Tybel? Is it Danny Green? Um, I, I think that's an important question mark. And again, like we, we talked about this a little bit last week too. Like, as good as Harden is, he's not someone who's really elevated his game in the playoffs in the past. No. And like this, this is going to be a big playoffs for him. And like you said, this is a honeymoon period right now. And I, I again, it's I gave them an A. Like I, I don't think they could have looked better through five games. And I think that's a great sign for the 76ers. But there's still like a few question marks for me um, that don't make them a, a clear cut in the East. Because as I said, like it, th- th- there's there's a lot of teams um, that I feel like, and, and you could look at like the run that the 76ers would have to go through to kind of make the finals. Um, like, you know, could they play the Bucks in the second round? They might have to play like the Nets in the first round. Um, and then like the Heat in the conference finals. And we saw the we saw the Bucks do that. The Bucks did not have an easy road to the finals last year. Um, in fact, it was pretty brutal. But um I, I I mean, do you have them as a clear cut in the East right now? I don't. I don't. I don't have them as a clear cut favorite in the East. I still have the Bucks as my as my Eastern Conference favorite, and second would be Miami. I would actually have the Sixers third. And when and and, and I know James Harden and, and Joel Embiid have looked incredible. They're undefeated with James Harden in the lineup. I get all of that. But look at the teams they beat. Minnesota on the road. So that I mean, maybe the Minnesota's played better basketball. I said that last week. But you still expect expect the Sixers to go in there and win that game. Uh, they played the Knicks twice. Okay, so what? They played the, the the Cavs, who are you know without some of their big guns and, and have been on a backslide since the All Star break. And the only big win to me out of all the you know the, the time that they've been there, uh, sorry, the time that James Harden has been there is the win against Chicago. Um, you know, and and Embiid went crazy in that game. So I'm I'm giving them one uh, big win or one notable win um, out of those. And if you want to nitpick even further, Chicago hasn't looked good against good teams. And you notice I didn't mention them as one of the, t- the you know, my three teams that I think could fi- you know be uh, scary in the Eastern Conference. Harden sat out the one game, uh, and they got blown out by the Miami Heat. I would have loved to see him play that game to really see where, how, and uh, if they could match up against the Heat. So I'm still uh, interested to see that matchup. But I do right now have the Heat above the Sixers in terms of ceiling. Um, I, I do think in some of the game, in some of the games that I've seen, and some of the possessions I've watched when you look at them closely, look, the game's going to slow down in the playoffs. I do think that there's times where Harden gets into his Harden bag, and Embiid still hasn't had to be. You know, hasn't been forced to really try to figure out what he's going to be doing during that time period. Um, and maybe, you know, I, and when, once the games slow down in the postseason and you need a big bucket, I could really see Harden dribbling the arrow of the ball and Embiid um, still trying to figure out whether he should give him space or whether he should demand the pass. The bottom line is if this Sixer team is going to win the championship, in those situations, Joel Embiid has to be vocal and Joel Embiid has to take control of the game in that regard. He can't be, um, you know, riding shotgun when Harden is is looking to get in his bag in, in those, you know, in those clutch situations. I think Embiid has to be the best player on the team for this team to get to the next level. Where Harden could do his thing is when Embiid's on the bench um, and, and you're working with, you know, that secondary uh, unit 
uh, or um, Embiid's in foul trouble or, or whatever the case may be, or B has just has a bad matchup and Harden has a favorable matchup. Those situations can occur, but I think if the Sixers are going to win the championship, it, it has to go through Embiid. So that's one for me. Then the second thing, Tobias Harris, I knew he was going to struggle, but he looks awful, Scott. He looks awful. He's averaging 11 points uh, on under 40% shooting. He's 39% from the field. He's shooting 27% from three on four and a half attempts. Um, he's not getting to the line. He's barely rebounding. He's not moving the ball well. He, he just looks completely lost. And I don't need him to be, um, you know, the 17 point per game score that he was, you know, that he has shown to be all season long. But he can't be this bad. He, he's he's almost unplayable at this point. Um, if he, if this is his if this is what he's going to bring to the table, you cannot be in in a playoff series where you're going up against a Miami Heat team that's really good defensively, uh, a Milwaukee Bucks team that's really good defensively, and you go to your third option and a dude shooting 39 percent from the field. That's not that's not going to be uh, successful in the postseason. You may get away with that against the you know the New York Knicks, the, the Timberwolves, and the, and the Cavs of the world. But I'm sorry. When once Miami buckles down, once uh, you know the Bucks buckle down uh, in in a postseason game, and and the game's slowing down, and, and you go to your third option, and he's giving you 39 percent from the field. That's not good enough. It's it, it just not. So I I do have the the Sixers. I know people in Philadelphia are, are going crazy about the marriage, and I I do see the positives there, but there are plenty of negatives, and and the negatives aren't going to show up in the wins. Um, because everybody's looking at you know the result and, and the result and they're they're winning some of these games by double digits right so mm-hmm. you know the, the, these these aren't glaring issues in the regular season but they will be in the postseason when you swing that ball and Tobias Harris jacks up a three and he's and you have a twenty seven percent chance of that thing going in that that's going to clink off the rim and and it'll be off and running the other way uh, for either the Bucks or or the Heat and and I, and I just see that happening um, in the postseason if Tobias Harris cannot figure it out. I mean, Jules Niang has played well for them. He's had a couple big games lately, and he yeah. seems to. It's if, been if, like he's had a natural fit with James Harden. Do you know what I mean? If we're going to Georges Niang over Tobias Harris, then I'm 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 sorry. And like, and I also the other thing too, Scott. We talked about Doc Rivers being on the list of all-time winning his coaches. He hasn't had recent memory. He hasn't had a great track record of of figuring things out in a two-one playoff series when his team's down two-one. Right? Even if his team's up two-one, he hasn't had the great track record of of figuring out how to get to that second, third, fourth uh, game plan. Has he? Um, you know. So I, I I just feel like I don't know. I feel like the Sixers are going to get got. And if if we're bringing up George's Niang, that tells me all I need to know. Well, no, no, I mean, that, that was kind of my point. The fact that he's had a, a pretty smooth transition next to James Harden. Like, they've been running pick and pops. Um, like, I, I, when we talked about this trade, um, I, I kind of talked about how Tobias Harris might be able to fill, like, that kind of, like, Ryan Anderson role um, that James Harden had uh, with Ryan Anderson in Houston. Like, they, those two guys had great pick and pop chemistry. And it, it seems like Yang has kind of filled that, that gap, not Tobias Harris. So... Look, it, we we knew when we talked about this last week. We mentioned how it's it's going to be the hardest on him to adjust, right? James Harden, we know what he's like. He's going to have the ball in his hands a ton, um, and be just running pick and rolls together. He's still going to get his post touches. Tyrese Maxey looks very comfortable playing off of them, making quick decisions as a shooter. A couple drives to the rim, a couple dribbles drive to the rim, or getting out in transition. Tobias Harris is the one who's going to have a harder time kind of figuring out his role, and it, it, it's going to take time. I mean, hopefully for them, it happens before the playoffs because they, they they really are going to need him to to make a deep run because it is interesting. Like there are very few teams I feel like in the league that have the personnel to match up with both James Harden and Joel Embiid, right? Um, the Bucks, I feel like, are one of those teams that can, especially if Brook Lopez is healthy, because not that Brook Lopez is, is going to stop Joel Embiid one-on-one, but he's he's a very good defender. He's a big body. At least you don't kind of have to sell out on Embiid, um, sure. I feel like, when they're matched up together. But also the Miami Heat. Like, Bam Adebayo is giving up a lot of size to Joel Embiid, but Miami, the way that they scramble defensively, like, the, Joel Embiid has had problems against the Raptors in the past, and we saw that in that series a couple seasons ago. Uh, that series a couple seasons ago, the championship um, run, like the Heat kind of play like a similar style defensively. So and we saw Joel Embiid struggled in that game last week. I wouldn't put too much into that because James Harden wasn't playing. Um, but, you know, and, and you look at their wing defenders, Jimmy Butler, PJ Tucker, even Kyle Lowry being able to put those guys on James Harden. Um, I, 
the more we talk about it, just the more excited I am about the Eastern Conference playoff race. Because I, I really do feel, and we haven't even touched on the Nets yet, who are just a huge question mark. Um, and who knows even if they make the playoffs. But the fact right. that, you know, they could be a, a seven or eight seed with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and whatnot, um, and even Ben Simmons, who knows when he's going to return. So uh, the East is uh, it's going to be fun. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I, you know, Scott, I really, I really just, I don't know about this. Uh, if the Sixers team is the Sixers team for me has to figure out how to get Tobias Harris more involved. It just simply does. Tyrese, Tyrese Maxey, I, I know he's a nice player. He's had an incredible season. He stepped up, um, you know, and 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 looked even better. Uh, you know, obviously playing next to James Harden. Uh, but I think the way that he plays is game planable, uh, if that's a if that's a word. I know he's shooting you know forty two percent from three, but do you really want Tyrese Maxey standing in a corner when the game slows down a little bit? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, it, it, you you want him slashing and getting to the rim, and you know if you look at the way he's been able to get his points as James Harden's been on the team. A lot of that's coming in in the open floor, and those opportunities are going to be fewer and fewer when you go up against better and better defenses. You know, he's averaging five and a half points, uh, fast break points, uh, in the last six games for the Sixers. Um, you know, I, I just, I, and and you know, points in the paint, he's averaging, uh, you know, eight, eight, almost eight and a half points in the paint. Um, so obviously, some of that has to do with the fast break points that he's he's been able to accumulate. I just think that you know you, you mentioned the you know the show and go and being able to to drive and slash a little bit. I just think the teams are going to dare him to shoot those threes, you know, and and he, he would rather you know Maxi take those threes in a playoff series than you know him attack your defense uh, at full speed and get get to the rim a little bit. So I just feel like there's ways to game plan him out, and if he's you know um, you know he hasn't been put in a situation where he's going to be that third you know, score consistently in a postseason with a really good defender on him. Like when you go to, when you play the Bucks, Tyrese Maxey is going to see a lot of Chris Middleton, you know, like that, that's going to be, and that's, that, that's not a favorable matchup for a Tyrese Maxey. Um, you know, play the heat, you know, Tyrese Maxey is probably going to see a lot of either Kyle Lowry uh, or Jimmy Butler, right? Like that's, that's who he's going to be matched up against. These are all defensive type of players, all, all, all team defensive type of players. It's not the same as going up against the Knicks when, when you see, um, you know, RJ Barrett guarding you, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit different. And I, I just feel like people are, are wearing rose colored glasses with this Sixers team. Um, I just still have a lot of question marks, not about James Harden and Joel Embiid. Those guys are, I, I believe in what they're going to bring to the table, but to win a championship, I think those others need to step up. Um, to use the Shaq phrase, and and the biggest one is the biggest question mark for me, uh, Tobias Harris, because he, he's just not finding his way, and I don't know if he has enough time between now and the start of the playoffs to figure that out. Um, I, I think that's fair, by the way. I, I will just say, last thing on this, that you know, if, if you, in a series against the Heat, I, I love the Heat defensively. I think that would be a really fun series. I mean, James Harden and Joel Embiid are still the first and second best player in that series, right? Like, there's going to be a lot of series where they have at least the best player on the floor, if not the two best. Um, And that, I mean, you just said it. Um, You're not as worried about them as you are the the other pieces around them. But if they they can kind of continue to play it the way they are, develop more of that chemistry, um, I mean, they're going to have a shot. There's no doubt about that. They, they, by the way, they would be the best player in that heat, both first and second best player in that Heat series. But then you look back at you know ways that you can slow them down defensively or offensively, defensively, and then what they bring to the table offensively. I don't know that, um, or sorry, defensively. Like you could target James Harden in a bunch of screen and rolls, and and you know Tyler Hero could make his life a living hell if if you if you, if you figure things out. Um, and I know Tyler Hero is not going to be the key to unlock that series, but you know if James Harden is not giving you. You know, one game on the offensive end, and he has to run around and chase Duncan Robinson a bunch around or other screens. That's that's a tough matchup for for the Sixers, and we could break that down when we uh, when we get there. We may not even see it. One of those teams might get bounced in the first round. Who knows? Um, all right, let's talk about the, the Celtics. This was a little bit lower down on our um, on our our program list here, but they. I, I mean, you brought them up, and they had a an incredible win. Uh, on the weekend, where you know they they took a Kevin Durant game, it looked like Kevin Durant was was in that zone for a little bit um, throughout, and Jason Tatum decided he was going to go to another level. He went super saiyan. He had another fifty point game, tying uh, Larry Bird for the most fifty point games with four over his career in Celtic history, um, and he's only twenty four years old. Scott, um, <laughs> Jason Tatum is something special. 
he, we always have the debate of whether or not he's a top 10 player. I think whenever we do our top 10, our, our top 30 list for NBA.com, and it really just depends on where we fall in the calendar. Like if we, if we did it right now, I don't think anyone would complain about having him in the top 10. But had we done this a month and a half ago, maybe we would. there would be some debate there. Um, the bottom line is I, I think the Celtics and Jason Tatum are playing far better. But what's what's been the difference between the team we saw two, three months ago versus what we're seeing now? I mean, the, the big thing for them has been the defensive turnaround. I mean, since January 1st, they have the best defense in the league, and it's not even close. Like, the difference between them at number one and the Mavericks at number two is the same as the Mavericks at number two and the Nuggets at number 10. Like, they're, they're leading defensive rating by a massive, massive margin. And it's not just that number. It, it, it's the way that they're defending. Like, they, they switch a ton across the board. Um, Jason Tatum, J- uh, Jalen Brown, we know what they are. They're, they're big wings, long arms. They can match up with, with multiple um, positions. Robert Williams, um, we talked about this last week a little bit. They have him basically guarding, like, the least perimeter threat on the opposing team um, that allows him to kind of play the back line of the defense and protect the rim. And you look at the numbers. I mean, he, he, he's been blocking shots since he walked into the league. Um, but according to NBA.com, opponents are shooting just over 50%, 53.2% against him within six feet of the basket. That's like Rudy Gobert, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, um, he's making everything difficult for them around the basket. And then you have Al Holford, who's like, he, he, even at his age, like he's, he's just a really smart defender. He can still switch um, comfortably onto multiple positions. And then you have Marcus Smart as well. And he's a defensive player of the year, all defense candidate, a guy who, even if he's not as big as the other players on his team, can guard, isn't afraid to guard anyone. Um, and, and like they just, they just move on a string defensively. And that's kind of their identity, their backbone. And then offensively, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I mean, it, it feels like an eternity ago at this point that we were talking, like there was conversations about, you know, is this the time to break them up? Because yes, they got off to a bit of a slow start this season. It never felt like they were quite on the same page those first couple of months. But basically since then, they've been incredible. I mean, Jason Tatum, um, as you said, has taken his game to another level. Jalen Brown has played much more consistently lately, much more consistently lately, kind of looking like that all-star, um, borderline all-star starter that he was last season. And the like that, that that's the thing for me they just kind of seem like they know who they are um they have that identity and i think that goes a long way right now like they're peaking at the right time in eastern conference where we just talked about the Sixers. like they have a bunch of questions the nets we don't know what to expect from them even the bucks like that we, we know who the bucks are but brooke lopez is still out they haven't quite had that run that we were expecting um and I, I mean, I don't know. Is this a team that can make an Atlanta Hawks run to the Eastern Conference Finals when no one's really expecting it? Can they make the NBA Finals? Can they win it all? Um, I mean, I think they are playing the best basketball in the league right now. They have been for a while. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, it is a remarkable turnaround when you think about what we're, how we were talking about this team a couple months ago. To go from that to now is, is pretty impressive. It is. It, it really is. One thing on the Bucks, though, and I, I, you brought up Brook Lopez twice now. Can we stop with the Brook Lopez stuff? Like he, he, Why? he played. He's played one game, and he has a back injury, and he's in his age thirty three season. He like the, the the idea of him not only coming back, but coming back and being what he was a year ago. That's that's out of here. That's finished. Like if you if he had came back, you know, maybe a month ago, worked himself back into shape. Like th- there's no way that you come back in this part of the season and be able to contribute at a high level for a championship team. Let's 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 just get that out of there. We're, we're, like I know you love him. He's he's a nice player. The Bucks definitely miss him in some aspects, but he is not coming back this year and making a difference to a team with a back injury, having played one game all year i'm just putting that out there back to the celtics the um the jalen brown jason tatum thing for me has always been interesting because it's always been that thing where most people are like oh who's better who's worse whatever who's 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 the leader who's you know and there was a real debate when jalen brown ended up making the all-star team and then there was the trade talk should they break them up they don't fit together it feels to me like ime udoka at some point in the season had a conversation with with both of them and kind of put them in specific roles and it feels like Jason Tatum has taken the 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 lead dog role, and 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 Jalen Brown has now a clear definition that he is that that one B guy, doesn't it? Like it it feels like he he, he has that clear definition of this is what you're going to be offensively. You can still get yours, you're still going to get your numbers. 
But we don't need you taking over games. And uh, that's allowed, I think, uh, for the rest of the team to fall into place. And you know I'm big on that. I'm, I'm, I'm always big on, you know, making sure that, you know, you have your set sort of pecking order on each team. I, I think when you don't have that, it really does mess with not only just chemistry, but it, it feels like you, you struggle to score offensively. And, you know, according to Cleaning the Glass, this team in the half court is still ranked 17th. Um, in in the league uh, over the season, and they're averaging 111.9 points per per 100 possessions in the half court. Um, so it, it, I do think that that's still a question mark for me. Um, but the way that Tatum has played over the last month and a half, and it almost feels like in February he, he goes to another level. We saw this two years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will I vividly remember sitting in Chicago leading into the All-Star game. Uh, they were playing, I believe it was, the they were playing the Clippers. Yep. Um, and Jason Tatum went crazy that game. And it was like, it was like okay, he, he, he sort of arrived. He, and he was, and leading up to that, he was having a, a really nice stretch where he was sort of figuring out. And we were like, all right, he's going to the next level. He's going to the next level. And uh, eventually uh, that led to the bubble, right? So the, the, his, his momentum kind of got, um, you know, curtailed a little bit. He talked about how tough it was for him to, and mentally draining it was for him to, to go up against that Raptor, that Raptors team in that bubble series uh, that that was really a grind and went to seven games and um, you know that was easily his toughest uh, playoff series or the toughest team that he had to overcome uh, which is still interesting to me when you think about it and, and all the series that he's he's been in at a young age um, but it, and that that was a team that I, it was clear that when they got to the Eastern Conference Finals they just didn't have it anymore it's, it's almost like they went emotionally to a level that they could not get to anymore and the Heat were a much fresher team and really just ran them off the floor that's what it felt like to me anyway um, I think if you play that series, you know, ten times again, I, I, I do believe Boston probably wins seven of the ten. Um, so I I do think that Tatum has been on this ascent for a while. Uh, his playmaking has has continually gotten better. His defense uh, has gotten better, um, and, and I I just feel like. The difference isn't just that he's getting better as an individual because we could expect that he's 24, but it's also that he it feels like the communication between him and the coach. And no, no disrespect to Brad Stevens. Maybe Brad Stevens tried this in the past. I'm not in the locker room. Have no idea. But it just feels like everyone on the Celtics right now knows exactly where they are on the pecking order, where they're supposed to be on both ends of the floor. Yeah, and I think some of that too is um, you know th- they have a lot of experience. Ne- <clears throat> sorry, next to each other. Like this core, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, like this team has been together for a while. Even Al Holford, like he he was gone for a couple seasons, but like he's played with these guys before. So I think there is some familiarity there, probably more than kind of meets the eye when you when you just look at this team and i think that helps um that kind of continuity but they again like it, all this comes back to me like this is a team that it feels like they know who they are they are peaking at the right time defensively they are an absolute monster mm-hmm. um I, I i don't know about like the whole jason tatum and jalen brown dynamic but i mean there's no doubt brown is going to have to have a big playoffs i think for this team to, to make it to the conference finals or the finals because as good as tatum has been like we know teams are going to throw multiple defenders at him test him as a playmaker make other guys beat them and if jalen brown can get going in those moments in those games in those series um that's what's going to help take this team over the top it's a copycat league scott if this if this boston celtic team could figure out a way to get to the finals using this formula i think a lot of teams will start to f- to sort of uh, revert back to the two big system, I know, and it's not going to work for everybody. You know, Al Horford definitely unlocks that with his willingness to go out in the perimeter and guard. Uh, we've seen Robert Williams stay a little closer to the rim and being able to protect shots like that. But we might start to see that again in the NBA, where you know, you know, you're not afraid to switch your big um, and and have him push up, not no more the drop coverage. Um, you know, with the way players are so skilled now, they can make shots, they can make those mid range jump shots. You know, the drop coverage just really just doesn't work uh, on everyone, I'll say. Um, and, and I think more times than not, when you get into the postseason, in the deeper rounds especially, it, you could get crushed using that sort of uh, mentality. And, and Al Horford feels like he's unlocking that, and not only for the Celtics, but the rest of the NBA to kind of bring that back a little bit. Um, where, where does Celtics sit right now for you? Um, is it, it, it who? who we'll, we'll put it this way. Everything in the playoffs is matchup dependent, right? Like mm-hmm. they they can beat certain teams, certain teams can beat them. Give me the two teams that they should should try to avoid uh, or they would like to avoid, and the two teams that they would be licking their chops if they had an opportunity to see them in a postseason. Hmm, that's a good question. I, I mean, the Nets are just a huge wild card, but I think if you look at like a team that has two elite shot makers in Kyrie Irving, 
um, and Kevin Durant. And then we have no idea what Ben Simmons is going to look like if he plays with them, you know, if even if he does play. But he is like the type of defender that you want going up against Jason Tatum, right? Sure. Um, so I, I think that would be a very interesting series. The Celtics in as the past a, as have, in, Wait a second. As in the team that they the Celtics should avoid or the team that they would love to see? I, I, I don't I'm more on like the should avoid than would want to see um, okay. that comes with a huge caveat because like they could just play the Nets and it could just be Kevin Durant and that supporting cast without Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving and then sure. that's a different story healthy um, but okay. but fully healthy Nets I think is is not a, a fun team to go against for anyone despite where they are in the standings um, look that I, I think the, the the Celtics have kind of struggled with Giannis in the past they at least have size in Al Holford and Robert Williams to maybe make things interesting for him, but that's another team I wouldn't really want a piece of. Um, but then, I mean, this the, the Heat are just defensively, like I wrote about this a week, 10 days ago. I really do feel like they're just built to defend anyone and everyone. Mm-hmm. And we took, just talked about how the, the Celtics have two of the be- better like shot-making wings in the league. Jimmy Butler, PJ Tucker match up well with them. Um, not that they're necessarily going to completely stop either of them, but at least make things difficult. And then Bam Adebayo doing what he needs to do, switch, protect the rim. Um, I, I think that series would just be really, really ugly in like a fun way. Do you know what I right. mean? Like that, that would be a really fun series to watch. And we saw it, you said it, we saw it a couple of years ago. That series was closer than it may look. Like there were three games, if I remember correctly, that kind of went down to the wire and it feels like one made shot for the Celtics um, could could have just completely change that series and they, they feel better now than they were a couple of years ago so um, I, I I don't know I, I really don't know if anyone wants to see the heat to be quite frank and that's not to say that they're the best team in the east but I just think you're basically signing up um, for a six seven game series and every single game is just gonna be a, a you know an absolute fight. Yeah, it's going to be a slugfest. I, I I agree with you in terms of the Heat. I don't think that the Celtics would love to see the Heat. Uh, and then the Bucks would be my second team. I don't think the Celtics would love to see Giannis. I, I feel like a- after that first uh, you know game where you know they had the Celtics had Kyrie Irving. Everyone remembers that uh, they went into Milwaukee, blew the Celtics or sorry, blew the Bucks out. Mm-hmm. After that first game, um, I, I think the, the the Bucks have just owned them. Uh, you know every time they've played them, and you know th- th- that is. Uh, uh, just a bad matchup for the Celtics because you know Al Horford has no business staying in front of Giannis, and I don't know that Robert Williams would fare any better uh, than that. Neither would Daniel Tice or or uh, or anyone else in that front line for the Boston Celtics. I, I just think that Giannis is just too good um, for that team, and I just I also think that with the addition of Drew Holiday uh, and you remove the Eric Bledsoe minutes that I've always said, you know, the Bucks weren't going to win with Eric Bledsoe as a starting point guard. Um, proved me right. And, but I just feel like, you know, with, with Drew and, and Middleton, um, you know, you now have, um, you know, players where when, when Giannis leaves the court, you know, the Celtics don't get a breather. You know, they still they still have to deal with some offense. Uh, and I think in years past, the only chance they really had when they played Giannis in a, play, in a series was that maybe they would get Middleton um, and, and, and Drew Holiday minutes. And, you know, if he was healthy, Mal- Malcolm Brogdon, you know, there wasn't much there. So I think there's a lot of more fear there. Uh, the teams that they should absolutely avoid, uh, or, or sorry, the teams that they should want to play, I, I think the Celtics would be licking the chops if they were able to get the Bulls. <laughs> there's no question in mm-hmm. my mind. Uh, and I also think that they would give Philly a lot of problems. I know Embiid is going to be a tough guard, but I would love to see – I just think the Celtics have the perfect um, you know, tandem to really bother James Harden and, and get under his skin. When you have Marcus Smart – and then yeah. if, if Smart gets into any foul trouble, you have Jalen Brown you can throw on him. And then, and then at, at the very worst, you know, breaking place of, gla- you know, emergency glass, you have Jason Tatum who's, uh, you know, who has stepped up defensively. I just feel like that those three guys over the course of a series can really just wear James Harden down physically and mentally um, because, you know, if, if you get past the Smart thing, because Smart's going to be physical with him, but then you have to add Jalen Brown's length and athleticism and, um, you know, they'll they'll also be able to kind of sit down and study him. And, and by game four or five, you know, the, the, the moves kind of sort of, you know, become more familiar and the, you can you can kind of scout for that. Um, and be the, the, you know, he might go for 50. <laughs> I, I don't know that Robin Williams can Robert Williams could uh, could stop anything that Embiid's going to bring to the table. But that's fine. I, I think if you take one of the two options away from them, um, I, I do think that the Celtics would be excited to play the Sixers. 
And Derek White as well, by the way. Even mm. breaking, you know, break glass in case of emergency option off the bench. Mark Smart picks up a couple fouls. So does Jalen Brown. At least you can like have a little bit of faith in in him chasing around James Harden for for five ten minutes, whatever the need you need. Um, it, it is funny. I feel like Embiid has had some absolutely dominant games against the Celtics over the last few years. Sure, but he's also had some real stinkers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's one extreme or the other. Um, yeah, I, I I'm with you. I. I think generally you're a little bit more down. It sounds like on the the sixes and their outlook than I am. Um, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, it, it is sounding like that, isn't it? Like I I don't I don't want to downplay how good this team is at their peak. I just feel like there are enough holes for me to to like. I, I just don't think that they are going to beat every team. Um, you know, th- th- there's matchups that just aren't going to work for them. You know, Miami mm-hmm. I don't think works for them. I don't think Milwaukee works for them, and I and I don't think Boston works for them. Uh, and you have to you're probably going to have to beat two of those three teams if you're going to yep. be in the finals in the Eastern Conference this year if you're Philly. Um, you know, Chicago I'm not worried about. Uh, and then, you know, beyond, you know, those teams that we we've already talked about, Brooklyn would be the only one that I would, you know, uh, enter that conversation um, but again who knows if they even make the playoffs proper they could have their full complement of players available to them and lose in the first you know playing game so I, I I do I do have that um, you know in the back of my mind is that we, we might not even see Brooklyn so that's why I haven't been bringing them up too much but I, I, I feel like Phillies has to show me more and um, specifically like I said Tobias Harris don't have to go over it again but I, they'd have to show me more before I start believing in them and uh, as a, as a team is going to walk through people, that's fair. not even walk through, just beat them. Yeah, no, that's fair. All right, uh, MVP debate. Let's uh, let's get to it. Nikola Jokic, your guy, has been incredible. Um, by now, you know that Joel Embiid has been incredible as well. Um, first, before we get to the Nikola Jokic versus Joel Embiid argument, is there someone else? Is there a third that should be even mentioned in the discussion that we aren't? Because I feel like. You know, when I turn on my TV and I see that on the uh, you know the the bottom scroll, and I watch the debate shows, uh, you know, or listen to podcasts, uh, it's been Jokic and Embiid. That's been the conversation. But is there someone else uh, that we're not paying attention to? Yeah, we can make this real quick. It's Giannis. I mean, look, he's averaging 29, 12, and 6 on one of the best teams in the league. Going into this season, the whole conversation was, you know, is this guy the best player in the league? It was him or Kevin Durant, basically. He's also probably the best defender in the league, Um, a guy who can protect the rim, switch across multiple positions. He's just a monster on both ends of the court. And it it does feel like, you know, he's already won, what, back-to-back MVPs. He won finals MVPs. It does feel like we take him a little bit for granted, um, He, but he's absolutely, with the season that he's having, he's absolutely in this conversation for me. Okay, I agree. Giannis is the guy. We don't have to spend much time there. Let's talk yep. Let's talk Embiid, Jokic. Go for it. Look, I, I mean, I think it's really hard, right? Both of them are, are, have been dominant from the start of the season, basically. Um, we're talking about two of the, the best centers in the league. The impact that they're having on their teams is undeniable. I mean, the 76ers just got James Harden, but they didn't have their second best player in Ben Simmons all season long. Um, And the only reason they were kind of in this position to begin with is because Joel Embiid has been putting up basically 30 and 10 every single night. Jokic, he's without his second and third best player in Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. And they're on pace to win what? 50 games? You know, even though this team is is six in the Western Conference standings, um, they're only they only have one less like win than the Sixers and the Bucks right now, who are second and third respectively in the Eastern Conference. Um, what he has done to carry this team on a night to night basis is just absolutely incredible. And the thing for me has just been Jokic's consistency because I just like a very small thing here. I was curious. I looked it up before we we came on air. Jokic has only had thirteen games this season when he shot less than fifty percent from the field. For comparison, Joel Embiid has had 26 such games. <laughs> and there is so much more that goes into the MVP conversation, everything like that. But that, that to me just goes to show like Jokic is without, again, his second and third best player. And every single night he goes out there, gets like 27 efficiently. And he's flirting with triple doubles. It seems like every single night he's like an assist or two shy um, of a triple double if he doesn't get it. And the impact, I mean, you look at the numbers. We don't. His raw numbers are impressive enough, but you look at like the advanced stuff, the swing um, of what the, the Nuggets are doing with him on the floor versus off the court. Like I, 
I, I just think from start to finish, he's been the best player in the league so far this season. And, you know, a lot can change over the next month. Again, Joel Embiid is incredible. They're going to make a push for the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, which would certainly help his case. Giannis as well. I, I do think Giannis is still in this conversation and, like, he could win it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even think it's like, oh, well, Giannis is third. Like, I, I do think Giannis, there is a path towards him winning it. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's it's so hard for me when you see what he did. Like, Jokic, the other night against the Pelicans when he bought 30 points in the fourth quarter in overtime, Yes, they played a shorthanded Golden State Warriors team last night, but he still gets like a triple-double and makes it look easy. Uh, he, he's just utterly dominant offensively and defensively. He's made tremendous strides. Um, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of running out of things to say about Jokic at this point because it just feels like every single night, you know what you're going to get from him. But um, just, just what an incredible season. And it, it really is... I mean, it's been such a fun MVP race since the start of the season, really. Um, but I feel like it's been a while since, like, we're splitting hairs with candidates going into, like, the final, you know, four weeks, five weeks. Yeah. he, he and, and I will say the same thing. Like, I think Giannis has been incredible. I think he still could win the MVP. Um, for me, it's Jokic. Uh, and I was I was in coming in with the, you know, thought that I was going to argue you, um, you know, to, to the death, really, um, to – to, to make an argument against Embiid or against Jokic because I knew that you were, you know, staunch in the Jokic uh, <laughs> camp for, for MVP for a while now. Um, and not, not just bringing in, you know, personal bias. It's just it, you, you have been justified in terms of, you know, the stats that you bring up and everything else. Uh, but the two things that stick out to me is one is one that Jokic has been playing with, um, you know, his, his second and third option, um, you know, sideline. Jamal Murray has not played all year. Michael Porter Jr. Uh, hasn't played for a long time, and he's keeping the Nuggets afloat. When you look at his numbers, if they're you know in certain areas they're better um, than they were a season ago. Uh, if not, they're right on par. Um, his efficiency is incredible. Uh, he, he just he just means so much to the team. And, and you know when you think of the word most valuable player, he just he just really does mean so much to the team. When you look at the on off splits, it's 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 almost laughable. Like when the, <laughs> when the Nuggets don't play with it him is. on the floor, um, than when they do. Uh, and and that's just that's just you know you, you could say that for a lot of you know stars in the league, but I don't think there's anyone that has made the impact considering the roster that's around uh him you know this season than than Nikola Jokic like they they barely they barely can score to you know uh w- without him uh, when he's when he's not out there and then when he is out there it's it just it's incredible um how he's able to take you know the the third uh, the guy who was a third option on his college team and turn him into someone that that's playable. Like I joke with our Argentinian friends about you know uh, Facu Campasso and everything else. I honestly think that Facu Campasso probably would not be in the NBA if he wasn't playing minutes next to Jokic. Um, like I, I, he, he's he's a really good uh, pro player overseas. I think Jokic makes him an NBA player, like just by standing on the floor with him. Um, and then when you bring his his improvement defensively, um, you know that that's where it takes it over the top for me. I I just think that Jokic is the MVP. I I, I don't know why people are holding it against him that he won a year ago. Uh, like, what does that matter that he ends up winning back to back MVP? Like, you you're supposed to vote for the season that we're watching, and to me, he's the most valuable player this year. And then for for the other folks that are like, oh, he can't win out of the sixth seed in the in the Western Conference and everything else, like they're they're only a game or two behind what the Sixers' record is um, yep. right now. Like, the, the, it, so throw it out the window. Like, if you're going to make the argument that Joel Embiid's team is 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 um, has a higher seed, if you just look at the records, um, you know the the Sixers are forty and twenty four right now as we as we record this. The Nuggets are thirty nine and twenty six. Like, there's they have a six hundred you know. Uh, uh, per winning percentage right now like what are we talking about here um they've been solid on the road they've been solid at home um you know th- th- this this nuggets team again with with bare bones around uh, nikola jokic uh, has been incredible and there's still games to be played and they could get they could conceivably conceivably climb into the fourth seed in the western conference then what like then what do you say he he, he scrapped and clawed this team to a to a first round home playoff series like that would be insane um so i i I do think that i would vote today i would vote for nicole Jokic. um he does have to finish the season out there's still plenty of games left to play and i do reserve the right to change my mind if things change as new as you know new information always is available uh as we live and 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 and, you know days go by but right now uh, i'm voting for nicole Jokic. Yeah, I'm with you. Um and by the way, with the way that he's been playing the last few games, it's it's trending towards him 
playing pretty well the rest of the season. Um, yeah, while you were speaking through that, by the way, I, I did look up the on-off numbers just so we have them. Um, the Nuggets have a net rating of 9.6 with him on the court, minus 7.5 without him. So they're yeah. almost, they're, what, 15, 20 points per 100 possessions better when he's on the court. Um, they're basically like, that's the best net rating in the league compared to like the Thunder in 27th. Like, it, it really is. And if you look at his numbers, I mean... You just compare the role stats to like Embiid and Giannis. He hasn't beat in most of those. You look at the advanced numbers. I mean, they all scream that like he's the most valuable and best player in the league. And you know that's not everything. The eye test matters, um, wins and losses, all that. But it's it. it I, I feel like as as we get close to the end of the season, his his case is only getting stronger. No question. All right, we don't have much time left, but we wanted to talk about the Warriors. We've watched them play. Um, without Draymond Green for quite some time. I think everyone on every single podcast and every single NBA talking head agrees that Draymond Green is the most important part to this team's championship um, You know, hopes this season. If he's not on the court, they're not winning a championship. I think we don't have to go down that path. Um, but what else can we see from the Warriors for you to believe uh, that they might be able to make a run? Because they were, they were playing great basketball um, at the mm-hmm. beginning of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a few things. One, um, Draymond Green, like you said, he's super important to what they do defensively, but even offensively. You know, like I, I wrote this last year, but um, Draymond Green assisted Steph Curry 194 times last season, and that was by far and away the highest number in the league. No other player assisted their teammate more than Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. And we can laugh and joke about how Draymond Green, you know, isn't a great shooter, how he passes up open floats and things like that. But that's the reason that I I kind of I kind of hate when people say like he's a zero offensively. He he's a great passer. He's a smart. He's basically their point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just the defense with him. It's the offense as well. And how that unlocks Steph Curry. And we've seen with Steph like he was. I mean the MVP front runner through what six day weeks in the season. And maybe we're having that conversation too early. But he was just absolutely historically incredible. Um, and he, he went through a slump and he's been better lately. But he still hasn't been that player that he was at the start of the season or last season when he led the league in scoring. Um, obviously, they're going to need him to kind of get back to that sort of level, I think, to, to win it all this season. Um, but really, like, Clay's had some bright spot, spots since he came back, but he's had a rough stretch lately. And that's to be expected for a guy coming off of the injuries, you know, that he has. It's always going to take him time, um, even though he's a great shooter. We talked a lot about this um, ahead of his return, but the, the amount he moves on both ends of the court, defensively switching, guarding number, number of positions, offensively running off of screens, like, it's really hard for a guy coming off of two serious leg injuries. So I think, you know, he's going to be having, having to play at a higher level, obviously, than he is right now for this team to win it all. But the, the supporting cast as well, like Jordan Poole's had a bit of a quiet stretch. He's been good the last few games, but but he he, he, he was a little quiet compared to the start of the season. Your guy, Andrew Wiggins, um, hasn't been great since coming out of the All-Star break. It's super important. They need his offense, but they also need his defense. So just, and and really like at the start of the season, you know, a lot was made of, of the their draft picks, this team's draft picks, the guys they picked up high in the draft the last couple of years. They weren't playing a ton, and now they are. And I think that kind of speaks to the situation they're in because of injuries and everything. Like, this was more of a veteran-heavy team, I feel like, at the start of the season. And because of the way things have gone, they've had to lean more on their young guys. And by the way, they've been great. Like, Jonathan Kaminga has nights where, um, I mean, you, you can't help but be intrigued by his potential. Like, the things that he does on both ends of the court. Moses Moody, too. Like, he's had some big games lately. Um, nearly got them back in that game against the Mavericks, hitting, like, three big threes i think it was um so that, that's not to say that they don't deserve to be out there but um it, it just kind of feels like every nothing's really going quite to plan for them right now or the way that they wanted to um and, and i think getting Draymond green back will kind of fill in a lot of the gaps but um i i i wasn't like fully bought into the warriors even at the start of the season as like the team to beat in the western conference i i do okay. kind of think it's a sun's at full strength by pretty decent margin to be honest um they're the only team we've talked about it before but like they're the only team i don't really have a ton of question marks about or any question marks as long as they're healthy whereas i feel like every other team i i I do um so i i don't know we'll we'll see what happens the west isn't as uh, crazy as the east i don't think like i'm not putting it beyond the warriors for making a deep run um but they're gonna it's like almost the opposite to the celtics right like they're trending in the right direction they have an identity and everything like that Whereas it, it feels like the Warriors are going to have to to do quite a lot to find their identity again over the next four to five weeks. 
Yeah, I, I'm still I still believe in the Warriors. Uh, I think when they're healthy, they can they can make a a run here in the postseason. I do think that they and when I say healthy, I'm talking about Wiseman. I'm talking about everyone uh, because they they have versatile lineups that I don't think many teams in the Western Conference have, and they could beat you in different ways. And they they're also battle tested. Like their best players have been, um, you know, through a grind. And some of the contenders out west haven't really had that. Um, you could make an argument that the Suns, like the first time they really faced some adversity, came in the finals last year, and we saw what happened. Um, so, uh, you know, outside of Chris Paul, I'm saying. Um, so, you know, it, the Grizzlies have it. You know, they're babies. They haven't really seen, um, you know, what it's like to be in, in in a grind of a playoff game when you know you have to win one. The Jazz have folded every time we've seen that. The, the Mavericks have yet to win a series with Luka Doncic there. Um, you know, the Nuggets. Who knows if they're healthy? Like you can go down the list. There's a lot of teams that we think could make it out of the West that just don't have the playoff experience and, and have their backs against have had their backs against the wall where they've been able to to come out of it like the Warriors. And and I, and I also think that. Um, the, you know, this Clay Thompson is not going to be this bad for as long as, at, at, at this this long. Uh, I do think that Andrew Wiggins will figure it out. I do think it's just the fatigue of the season, and once we get to the postseason, this team will will figure things out. Um, and it feels like they're playing like that. Uh, the only thing I worry about is that if they can continue to slide down that Western Conference, they might you know end up with a very tough first round matchup. And for them, for a team that you know, is, is mentally exhausted the way they are that I don't know that they lose a series, but it, it extends it and it takes, you know, you lose a cat life. You know, you, you may have nine playoff lives. If you're a championship team, you lose a couple in that first round series. And, and before you know it, you enter the second round with only six left. Right. So that that's what I worry about with uh, with the Warriors. Um, so, you know, there's plenty. I think we go in, in more in depth with the Warriors, um, but until I see Draymond Green back on the floor, until I see what James Wiseman can bring to this team, um, I'm, I'm going to reserve my judgment and, and, and still believe in you know the core there and, and what they can bring to the table uh, at, at, for for this playoff run. All right, um, before we get out of here, one quick thing on the notebook, um, Scott, what do you have for us? Um, nothing too crazy, but it, it, it was good to see Victor Oladipo back yesterday in that heat win. Uh, played 15 minutes, had 11 points, four assists, drew a couple charges, had one nice dunk. Um, and, you know, we just talked about Clay. His deb- his season debut was it, it kind of electrifying. Like, he, he did have a big dunk as well. And, it, it you know, very positive stuff from him. Um, that's my way of saying that, like, since then, things have... You know, a lot of things have gone on. Victor Oladipo is coming off of some pretty serious quad injuries over the last few years. I don't know what to expect from him the rest of the way. I don't think the Heat know what to expect from him the rest of the way. Sure. But giving him these, like, next four weeks to kind of see what he can do, if he can crack the rotation. Because we know what he was capable of, like, in his prime. Like, I say prime. He's still pretty young. But prior to these injuries, um, he he was a great two-way player. And I'm not expecting him to get back to that level. Um, I think that ship has probably sailed. But it would be great to kind of see him still be in the rotation, the sixth man, seventh man, whatever it kind of whatever it is um, for a good team. So it, it was good to see him back last night. I, I think a very positive first step forward. Cool. I thought you were going to go with Luka Doncic. I thought you were going to shout him out. So I'll mention him real quick. The Mavericks on a five-game winning streak. He's looked incredible. Um, you know, in shape, Luka is a, is a dangerous man. My other thing was going to be the Lakers. I, I said it. I don't know if I said it on this podcast. I, I do so many takes, Scott, that I really don't know where I say things. <laughs> but I, I, I do really think that the Warriors do not want to see the Lakers in a playoff series, especially uh, watching that game on Saturday night with LeBron going crazy. Uh, we couldn't get out of here without saying something about the Lakers because uh, there's plenty to talk about with them all time but my notebook uh shout out goes to the pelicans um cj mccullum in the last 10 games so he's been he's been with the pelicans now for 10 games he's averaging 26 points uh six assists five and a half rebounds he's shooting 52 percent from the field 40 percent from three um Yo, CJ McCollum is balling right now, and the Pelicans are winning games, uh, and they're, and they're catching up. They're, they they have a chance to overtake the Lakers here. Uh, they're only a game behind the Lakers. That means that that playing game would be in New Orleans. And if the Man. Pelicans continue to play as good as they have been, what if Zion comes back? You know, before the end of the season, and then he's available to play in that playing game, and the Lakers are without AD, uh, and, and you know they're still trying to figure things out. That's a game where the Pelicans could steal and eventually, you know, maybe you know sneak into the playoffs, taking on the loser of whoever loses that seven eight matchup, and get into the postseason. And you know they probably won't make noise. Noise. The Suns will make quick work of them. But the bottom line is, you know, that is how the Suns sort of built their momentum leading into this following season. Like they got hot 
in the bubble, didn't make the playoffs, but they used that momentum to kind of take off. Uh, obviously, adding Chris Paul helped, but they used that momentum to take off. Maybe C.J. McCollum is that one thing, that one guy, that vet that they needed in that locker room for the kids to kind of go behind and take off next season. I, I really want to shout out the Pelicans a little bit here. Yeah, they deserve it. They've been great lately. Uh, super fun. Hub Jones, too. The stuff that he does defensively. Um, yeah, they got that, some pieces they, there, man. They do. They still have they Zion. They still have and, Zion. Hey, it, we don't have to talk about it right now, but Zion, I, I, I hope he comes back and he's you know the kind of player that we saw last season because it, it's easy for a lot of people to forget how incredible he was. Like He, he was an all-star last season, flirting with an all-NBA spot. Uh, he was just utterly dominant. So if he can get back to that level, you know, John Moran deserves all the praise that he's getting, but it's easy to forget about how good Zion was. His NBA debut, and this is his floor, and we'll get out of here on this. His NBA debut was 22.7 rebounds. He shot four for four from three, uh, eight of 11 from the field in 18 minutes. That was his, that was his NBA debut <laughs> against a really good Spurs team that knew that was his NBA debut and sort of wanted to slow him down. They could not stop the man. And then the following season, we know what he did. Uh, so, yeah, definitely don't forget about Zion Williamson. All right, let's get out of there, Scott. We'll be back. Uh, in a couple weeks right here on NBA Sound System. If you missed any part of the show, you can find it wherever you find your podcast. Uh, for Scott Rafferty, I'm Carlin Gate. We'll see you in a couple of weeks again. And shout out to Greg Popovich, who should, by the next time you hear us, be the all-time winningest coach in NBA history. We'll see you, folks. Mm-hmm.